Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John's Gospel, the 12th chapter, the 26th verse. In the chapter Jesus is talking, this is a hard, hard language, talking about dying to self so that you can achieve eternal life and, and following him. Uh, Jesus is speaking here to a group of non-Jewish seekers, they were Greek, who have come to see him in Jerusalem. Those who earnestly want to submit to God will put him at the very top of their priority list. They won't love things as much as they love God and his will. Verse 26 says, Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My Father will honor whoever serves me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now, God, may your word be proclaimed either through me or in spite of me. Amen. One of my pastor buddies that serves just down the road from us now closes each service with the same benediction. Right at the end, he'll say, he's got this little, cool little preacher tagline. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't you dare leave this place without saying yes to God. And I heard that for the first time about 16 years ago. And then I checked online to just make sure he was saying the same thing. And he does. It's a great line. There's some real challenge in there. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't you dare leave this place without saying yes to God. There's also kind of a little veiled thread in there as well, right? Whatever you do, don't you dare leave this place without saying yes to God. You can look at it a couple of different ways. Of course, you know, I mean, think about it. Can you say no to the creator of the universe? Yes, yes, we do it all the time. And there are consequences to that. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. In the fall of 1989, I was working and going to school. Khaki had just graduated and was, was working in Dallas. We were burning up the roads every weekend trying to see each other. And a favorite professor of mine caught me and says, Mark, I've, I've lined up for you a, a, a job interview out at Bullard First United, First United Methodist Church. I to be the music director there. And I, I remember shaking my head, and I said, well, Doc, why would, why would you do that? It was about 45 minutes from where I was living, and it was completely the other direction from where Khaki was. And I thought, this is, you know, this is for sure not going to work out. And he said, yeah, you'll need to be there Friday at 11, and wear a suit and shine your shoes, son. Uh, so, okay, all right. And so I, I had resolved, I think that was a Monday or Tuesday, and I had resolved that I thought I was going to tell him before before Friday came, now, you know, I just don't think I'm, I'm going to do this. It's not a good thing. But I didn't. And Friday came, and I put on my, my, my suit, and as he called them, my tight shoes. And I went out to Bullard. Now, Bullard's a little nicer, a lot nicer town now. But at the time, right by the church, there were potholes in the road that not much of an exaggeration, you could lose a VW Beetle in. I mean... I mean, they weren't potholes. It was like Jurassic Parkway right around the church. But it was a pretty little Methodist church. And I, I stopped and I went in the, the front door and I met the secretary. She taught me, took me back to see the preacher, who was none other than the Reverend Morris Mathis, who we had as a guest speaker just a few weeks ago. Now, he's pretty big time now. He's pastored big churches, and uh, he was a district superintendent. He works for the bishop now, so he thinks he's big stuff. I can tell you in 1989, he was not. And in fact, he was wearing a pair of jeans with both knees 
out of them before that was uh, a thing, before it was popular. He was wearing a faded green, I still remember it like it was yesterday, he was wearing a faded green Whole Foods t-shirt. His bro- his, I think his brother worked for Whole Foods. And he was wearing Birkenstocks, his Jesus shoes, you know. He was not an impressive looking guy, I can tell you. And I sat down and I talked to him for about 30, 45 minutes. And he asked me about my family and what I wanted to be when I grew up. And asked me about my girlfriend. And he did ask me about my background in church. And if I loved Jesus, I told him I did. And he never asked me once what I thought about, what was my philosophy of music and and worship. He never asked me who my favorite composer was. He never asked me any deep theological questions. We just kind of chatted. And then about 45 minutes later, he just jumped up and he said, okay, uh, you'll start the first Sunday of January. Go see Marie, that was the secretary next door, and pick up your W-9. And I, 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 I stopped him. I said, I said, Reverend Morris Mathis, I don't want to do this. I don't think, I don't think this is a good thing. And it, you know, if, at, the, at the tops, you know, I'll fill in for you. I might do six weeks until you can find somebody at the first of the year. And he says, oh, no, 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 it's, everything's going to work out great. And then he turns and goes out the back door of the church. He just left me standing in his office. I went down and picked up my W-9 and drove off. This was the days before cell phones, but I had determined on my 45-minute drive home that I was going to call him and tell over, over the weekend and tell him, you know, really, this, this is just not the right thing for me. Well, Monday came, and then another Monday and another Monday. Tacky and I went out to Bullard to see the uh, Christmas cantata that the choir did. We met the very nice retired uh, school music teacher that had been their choir director. He was retiring again and moving away. We met some lovely people in the choir. And sure enough, on January 6, 1990, I started as a music director there at Bullard First United Methodist Church. I don't think I ever really said yes, but I didn't say no. And because of those, that yes or non-no or whatever, I've had an extraordinary life. I've always had friends that were 10 years old and 90 years old. I have been able to see some of the most wonderful, meet some of the most wonderful people of my life in church. I've had mentors. I've had role models. I've had surrogate parents and grandparents for, uh, uh, for our daughter. It has been a, a beautiful time in our, really our whole adult lives. While we were in Bullard for about five years, one of the people that I met there was a lady named Carolyn. And Carolyn's life had started out pretty good. She had been the valedictorian of her, of her uh, high school class. She'd gone off to college to be a music major. While she was there, she met a man. She fell in love. She quit school to help him get through school. And some years later, they had three children and another one on the way when he would completely abandon them. She moved home, moved in with her widowed mother. Between the two of them, they were just barely able to keep a roof over the kids' heads and food in their bellies. Carolyn had an incredible talent for music, not just as a, you know, just not technical proficiency, but the heart and soul that she played, put into everything that she played. She's a big lady, and sometimes she would just her body would just quake and the tears would flow down her her face as she I don't know, she, she was dealing thinking about the, the life that could have been, the life that should have been but she gave all that she had, which was really just her musical ability, she gave it to the Lord every single week 
And that congregation was so blessed to have her. In fact, they blessed her a few years later and made it where she could go back to school. She finished a degree in music and then spent a nice career as an elementary music teacher. She was a blessing. She blessed others. She just said yes to what she could do. A few years later, about five years later, we moved to Van, and I served there with Reverend Scott Dornbush, one of your former pastors here. And in that church, we met a pretty powerful guy. His name was Don Stevens, and he was a broker with big ships like tankers and, and cargo ships and things like that. And he was in a dry dock making a, de uh, making a deal one day, and uh, he saw a decommissioned cruise ship sitting in the, in the harbor. And he says, the way he tells it, it wasn't a still small voice. God gave him a mandate and a plan. He said, Don, you're going to buy that ship. You're going to turn it into a floating hospital, and you're going to take it into the poorest parts of the world and serve. And in a few years, he had established Mercy Ships, which is the largest non-governmental provider of basic surgical procedures anybody nation in the world I want to know how that conversation went that night at home what'd you do today honey I bought a boat well great okay well what kind of boat did you buy did you buy a bass boat no no I didn't buy a bass boat well okay did you, did you buy a sailboat no 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 I didn't buy a sailboat well what did you buy bought a cruise ship <laughs> so guys if you ever come home Start, lead with that, you know. I, well, I didn't buy a cruise ship. I just bought a bass boat. <laughs> Mercy Ships provides things that are not such a big deal here in the United States. Cleft palate surgeries and prosthetic limb. They have a, a, a container ship that, uh, or a container on the ship that makes prosthetic uh, legs for folks. They do cataract surgeries, things that wouldn't be a big deal here. The places that they go it's almost impossible to get these things. And they started out with one ship, that one, the, uh, the Caribbean Mercy. They added another one, the Africa Mercy. And in just a few weeks, they'll christen the first brand-new, purpose-built hospital ship other than, than you know, countries' navies and maybe the Red Cross in the world. And they'll be able to do a variety of different kinds of surgeries that are going to improve the lives of so many more people than they already have, which uh, goes into the tens of thousands of folks. What a huge yes. I think if I would be kind of like that story about Noah, you know, if, if, uh, if God came to me and said, buy a cruise ship, I'd say, you, I think you have the wrong number. But with Don, but with Don, he had the expertise to do that, and he made something beautiful happen just because he listened to God's voice and he said yes. In that same church was a lady named Marge. Now, Marge didn't have a lot of power. Marge had, uh, her words to describe herself were she had spent most of her adult life as a drunk and a floozy. Those were her words. And Marge had spent, you know, again, the large part of her adult life in bondage to alcohol. She had broken relationships with all of her children. But in her 50s, she accepted Jesus as her Savior she turned her life around, got off the bottle, 
and dedicated, wanted to dedicate herself to service. And out in California, she found out about Mercy Ships, and she wanted to serve. Now, everybody at Mercy Ships is a, is a, uh, a missionary. The people that drive the boat, the people that fix the engines, the doctors and nurses, everybody raises their own support when they're on the, the boat so that they can be missionaries. But what was Marge going to be able to do? She had worked in bars for all of her life. So what was she going to do? She, she couldn't pilot the boat. She couldn't fix the engines. She wasn't a doctor or nurse. What, it, what, what did she have to offer? Well, it turns out that she had uh, uh, made ends meet for her whole life by taking in sewing, mending clothes and altering clothes. And she was really, really good at it. Well, it turns out that's a very important skill to have on a ship that very seldom comes into port. When the clients would come in and they put them in gowns, they would wash their clothes and the clothes would go to, uh, to Marge to be mended. And when she did that, she would, she would pray over those clothing. When members of the crew needed something fixed, she'd do the same thing. She'd, she'd fix their scrubs, but then she would also pray for them. Now, Marge, was, she was the life of the party. She had a big personality, and pretty soon she became the belle of the ball. And she stayed on the ship for most of 20 years, and finally she got where she, she really couldn't be at sea anymore. But she moved to Garden Valley, Texas, right between Van and Lindale. They're up on Interstate 20, where they have the training base. And Marge lived out her days answering the phone, still mending some clothes, and bringing joy to everybody that she came in contact with. After five years in Van, uh, my school teaching job took us to the Longview area. I taught in, in White Oak for a long time. And we joined the, the church at Gr Longview Gregton. It's kind of the, the smaller church in uh, uh, suburban church in Longview. And there I met the Reverend Emmett Barrow. And Emmett Barrow, you want to talk about a guy that had done his bit for God and country. He had spent... Uh, World War II as a chaplain, Navy chaplain, on Adak Island in, uh, in Alaska. And if you don't know where Adak is, there's a whole lot of pretty places in Alaska. He said that wasn't one of them. And so he spent almost the entire war ministering to the sailors that came to the naval base there. And uh, he came back to the, to the States, to the mainland, and married his bride, and they served churches all over the Texas Annual Conference. He retired as a district superintendent. And then for the next several years, he was an unappointed associate at Gregton. Did that for several years. And then he cut himself down to half time and still served. And by the time I got there, he was almost 80 years old. Maybe might have been 80 years old. And he was not on the staff anymore, but he still kept a little shoebox of an office in the church. And every day he would come in and he would find out who was in the hospital, maybe who had passed away or a new birth. And he went out and visited all of those folks. And he did it until he couldn't drive anymore. His eyesight got too bad to drive. And then even after that, he had his daughter, who was in her 60s, drive him around. And he did that really until just weeks before, before his death. Reverend Barrow not only said yes, I don't think he knew how to say no. If there was anything in the church that needed to be done, he was there. After about 12 years there, we moved to First Marshall where I first met uh, Roger. And 
And there was a fellow there named Monty Bacon. We loved Monty. He was just such a good man. He was a business owner and had a real heart for mission. And he became very convicted, very concerned that there were a whole lot of people in our community, and they're in Marshall, that couldn't get out of their houses. They needed a wheelchair ramp. They might have poor eyesight or orthopedic problems or be in wheelchairs. And if they had a pier and beam house or a trailer house, it was almost impossible for them to get out. And so they built a few wheelchair ramps with, with mixed success, I would say. Then he came upon a group called the Texas Ramp Project, and they provide the engineering know-how. It's kind of like ramp building for dummies. And if you'll do this, if you'll use their, their, uh, their plans, it'll work every time. And so Monty established a small group, probably 12 to 14 people, men and women, young and old, that had a heart for this and wanted to work on these mission projects. Well, in two years, think about how many weeks that is, they had built 100 ramps. In fact, so many that the Texas Ramp Project said, okay, you've got to slow down. <laughs> you're, and they actually provided some of the materials too. You said, you're, you're running us out of house and home. So what did they do? They didn't quit. They just found other sources to get the lumber and the materials that they needed to do it. And I think they, there's up somewhere around 200 now that they've done. Just a remarkable, yes, and, and seeing a critical need in the community and then finding a way to solve it. A beautiful, beautiful yes. And since I've been here in just a few weeks, I've seen some incredible yeses. I've seen folks rallying behind families who lost a loved ones, a bold mission group, prayer warriors that cover this church and its people in prayer, people that do children's sermons and provide ASL services for us. Beautiful, beautiful yeses. People that found something that needed to be done and they just stepped up and did it. I think there's still more work to be done, though. This past Wednesday, we met with a group of ministry leaders and we discussed what the vision for the church was going to be as we emerged from COVID. I know we're talk tired of talking about COVID, but it slowed every church. And as we look to the fall, as we look hopefully to a healthier time and a time that we're able to ramp up our ministries, we need to have a vision for what the church is going to look like, what we can do. A lot of those ideas are locked in your head. It's not a Roger thing or a Mark thing or a Jason thing or anybody's thing. It's our thing. And we're going to have to be bold in our vision. What, what do we see this church doing six months from now, a year from now, five years from now? We have facilities that allow us to do almost anything, almost anything. We can dream dreams that you know, might have seemed impossible just, just two or three years ago. And I hope that we'll, that we'll do that. In our meeting, we talked about, about stepping out boldly, seeking God's will for our church, and then moving forward fearlessly, saying yes to God. We're going to need a whole lot of yeses if we're going to pray purposefully, if we're going to worship passionately, if we're going to study thoughtfully, if we're going to fellowship and we're going to serve. 
for us to realize those things, there's going to have to be a lot of yeses. That, that there's more to talk to about dying to self, but when we put the things, the earthly things behind us and think about the spiritual things, then it gets a little easier to say yes to God. I've thought a lot about, about my almost no and how that would have changed my life. You probably have some times in your life where you've either said no or wish you had said yes. I think we need to look at those, reevaluate re where we are, reevaluate how we commit ourselves to serving in God's kingdom. They're not all going to be, you're not all going to start mercy ships. But maybe you can teach a Sunday school class or leave a, a Bible study or come to a Bible study to learn more about God's will for your life. Many yeses yet to be had. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My Father will honor whoever serves me. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't you dare leave this place without saying yes to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can serve you. We thank you that you give us eyes and ears and hands and feet and give us instruction in how to serve others. Father, we just ask that you would give us strength Give us wisdom and discernment to find your will for us as individuals and us and, and our church here. And in everything we do, we'll give you the glory. Amen. We've got, you want to talk about a yes, we've got a bold group going out this week. As Roger said, last year there was, there was no such thing as a UM Army. Uh, we couldn't have done it because of the pandemic. But we're back. We're back. And we're sending a group out this afternoon that's going to be uh, working down in, the, in southeast Texas and Louisiana. And uh, we can't wait to see the work that they do. If you're going on that trip in any capacity, would you come forward, please? If y'all just stand right down here. You can come over here, too. <laughs> So church, this is your mission team. And mission team, this is your church, and they're going to be covering you in prayer while you're gone. Dear friends, as we take part in this celebration of blessing and commissioning, we are reliving a practice of the early church. We read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work of mission. And the church at Antioch, after fasting and praying, laid hands on them and sent them out. The early church eagerly sent its members to other peoples to assist those who were already of the household of faith and those who did not yet believe in Christ. Today we also send these, our sisters and brothers, to serve the needs of others and to represent First Huntsville, as representatives of God's love. 
This commissioning and sending will strengthen the bonds we maintain with communities to which they're going, and the prayers we offer are an expression of the ties that bind us together in Jesus Christ. Would you extend your hand out over these folks as we pray for them? Guiding and loving God, empower these people to be your hands and feet. Help them to glorify you by serving others. Send them into the world to feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, and warm those who are cold. By their actions and words, make them witnesses of your great love and your passion for rescuing your people. Protect them, teach them, support them as they take this new step in their own journey to becoming the people you want them to be. Fill them with the Holy Spirit and enable them to do their tasks faithfully and joyfully. Bring them safely home and then let their experience further enrich us so that we too may glorify you by serving our community in the love of Christ. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Now before you go, Church, we want to be in prayer for these folks. And we have some prayer bracelets, and they have the names of, of these folks that are going this week. If you would agree to pray for these folks, if you would take one of these bracelets and wear it, um, well, until it falls off anyway, and pray for them by name each day. Would you stand if you would, if you would uh, like a bracelet? And then you all take the bracelets out to them.